Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. Hello and welcome to the Macquarie Street political podcast. It's great to have your company. It's been just over a week since Justice Black of the New South Wales Supreme Court ordered that the Christian Democratic Party be wound up. He made this order because two warring factions could not agree on the governance of the party. This, of course, is a terrible disgrace and a tragic end to a party that had a 40-year history. It's a tragedy for Christians in New South Wales who will no longer have a Christian political party to vote for at the state election in March 2023. Under New South Wales electoral law, it is not possible to register a new political party for it to be included on the ballot in, uh, in time. The CDP has already lost its federal registration and will be unable to contest the upcoming federal election. Now, I was not a part of the legal dispute that destroyed the party, but its outcome has affected me. Despite being out of a job since last week, I've decided to continue working to establish a Christian political party that can put strong Christian voices into parliaments around our nation. With the setback of the CDP's failure, this is going to be a medium to long-term project and I'm currently working through the due diligence, discernment and prayer for such a venture. I'll have more to say in the near future. But I want to thank everyone who has supported me so far uh, on this journey. You've been amazing. I believe God has a plan in it all and by His grace I'm determined to keep going. Our nation needs strong Christian voices in Parliament now more than ever. If you'd like to know more, please sign up to my weekly e-news by clicking join at lyleshelton.com.au. That's lyleshelton.com.au. Now, by the time you listen to this week's podcast, Scott Morrison may have already fired the starter's gun on the federal election. An important early intervention in the election was this week's announcement by Martin Isles of the Australian Christian Lobby that his organisation will be targeting Liberal marginal seats where members voted with Labor and the Greens to torpedo religious freedom. Ten years ago, if you'd have told me that Christians would be campaigning in an election against Liberals because Liberals voted against religious freedom, I would not have believed you. I don't think the Liberals' founder, Sir Robert Menzies, who was a Christian and often spoke of Christianity's importance to the nation, would have believed it either. That rumbling you hear is the great man turning in his grave. Things have slipped badly and quickly in this country, and it is going to take all of us getting involved to turn things around. Good on the ACL and its supporters for using the tools of democracy to put the heat on those politicians who trashed their own government's election promise and their party's legacy. A warning about this next segment, graphic images follow, so if you don't want to be exposed to pictures of unborn babies killed by abortion, please look away. My podcast listeners, of course, don't need to take any action, you can just listen. These are the images the abortion industry does not want you to see. Australian politicians in most states who recently legalised abortion to birth certainly don't want you to see the images of five damaged babies who suffered horribly before they died at the hands of their abortionist. The images coming out of the Ukraine are disturbing enough. Corpses from the West's war on its unborn are not what we expect to see, but this is what we are seeing for those who reluctantly and bravely have a look. The five bodies were recovered from medical waste at an abortion mill called the Sergi Clinic in Washington, D.C. in America. Pro-life advocates voluntarily turned them over to homicide investigators, but the police are saying nothing to see here. 
Some of the babies could have survived unassisted outside their mother's wombs. All of them have contemporaries who routinely survive with neonatal care. Such are the advances in medical technology these days. Unlike Australia, partial birth abortion is banned in the US. The pictures seem to present evidence of the law being broken. Now you heard that right. In Australia, aborting a healthy baby at any stage of pregnancy is fine. The qualifier is if two doctors uh, agree to sign off on a late-term abortion. All the DC babies in these pictures were well beyond the threshold science tells us unborn babies feel pain. Trust the science does not apply when it comes to abortion. We have no mercy. Now I know these images are confronting. I hate looking at them. The images offend us all, or at least they should. It was only in the telling of the gruesome details of the transatlantic slave trade, often with graphics, which led to its ab abolition. This campaign by Christian activists took decades. Therefore, we must not avert our eyes to these modern horrors. We must confront the euphemism of choice. Our politicians must see what their votes from green and red leather produce. Pro-life campaigners are of course calling for an investigation. Elites will make sure that there is none. The abortion clinics will simply be told to take better care of their medical waste. Parents in Florida no longer need to fear school officials secretly transitioning their children's gender thanks to protections passed by the state legislature. The law was signed last week by the Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, who is now being demonized by the rainbow political activists, Disney Corporation, mainstream media, and Joe Biden. Speaking at the ceremony to sign the bill, a mother by the name of January Littlejohn told of how her daughter was secretly led by her school to change her gender. Take a listen. In September of 2020, my daughter told me after school she had a meeting with school officials that was held behind closed doors where they asked her which restroom she wanted to use. I immediately contacted the school and was told by the guidance counselor and assistant principal that I could not be given any information regarding the meeting and that by law, my daughter had to be the one to authorize my notification of the meeting or attendance to the meeting. In other words, school officials asked my 13-year-old child her permission as to whether or not my parental rights would be honored. After many weeks of going back and forth with the district, we learned the middle school had created a transgender, gender non-conforming support plan with our 13-year-old daughter without our knowledge or consent. The plan was a six-page document completed with my daughter behind closed doors with three school officials that included the guidance counselor, the assistant principal, and a social worker I had never met. During the meeting, they asked her questions that could have significantly impacted her safety and her physical and emotional well-being, such as which restroom she preferred to use and which sex she preferred to room with on overnight field trips. The plan also directed school staff to use my daughter's birth name when speaking to us, her parents, and to use a different name in school with teachers, staff, and students. This plan directed school staff to conceal from us that this meeting and plan had ever taken place. When parents are excluded from critical decisions affecting their child's health and well-being at school, it sends the message to children that their parents' input and authority are no longer important. This created a huge wedge between our daughter and us because it sent the message that she needed to be protected from us, not by us. Social transition is a medical and mental health intervention that can lead to significant decisions that will impact the child's mental and physical well-being. 
Often social transition is the first step toward medical transition and schools are grossly unqualified to be taking these steps without parental involvement. Most of the mainstream media coverage of this signing ceremony censored this mother's comments, labelling the bill as homophobic, transphobic, and a don't say gay bill designed to hurt LGBTIQA plus people. MSNBC, one of the big media networks in the US, said the bill meant homophobic, transphobic lies are now the basis for Florida law. Nothing, of course, could be further from the truth, as the media cements its status not only as fake news, but as perniciously at war with mainstream parents. Here's how Governor DeSantis described what the parental rights in education bill actually does. He said this on his website. It prohibits classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through to third grade and prohibits instruction that is not age appropriate for students and requires school districts to adopt procedures for notifying parents if there is a change in services from the school regarding a child's mental, emotional or psychological well-being, end quote. This means children under nine cannot be taught sexual concepts at school or that their gender is fluid. It means that parents uh, must be notified if their child is accessing services that affirm an attempt to change their gender, something which can put them on a path to experimental treatments with irreversible side effects. The media and Hollywood were in meltdown all week. Joe Biden said the bill was hateful. It would be interesting to know if Anthony Albanese agrees with his US political fellow traveler. The Walt Disney Company, which owns among other things, Disney World in Florida, has vowed to fund organizations working to repeal the legislation and take away parents' rights not to have their children indoctrinated in harmful rainbow ideology. Leaked internal video of Disney executives emerged last week of them discussing how to further indoctrinate children into rainbow sexuality and gender-fluid ideology. Here's Disney's president of general entertainment, Carrie Burke. Take a listen. Here as a mother of, of two queer children, actually, um, uh, one transgender child um, um, and one pansexual child, um, and and also as a leader, um, and that was the thing that really got me because I have heard so much from so many of my colleagues over the course of the last couple of weeks, um, in open forums and through emails and phone conversations and. Um, I feel a responsibility to speak um, not just for myself, but for them, uh, to all of us. We, we had a we had an open forum last week at 20th where, um, again, the home of, of really incredible groundbreaking LGBTQIA stories over the years where um, one of our execs stood up and said, you know, we only have a handful of queer leads in our content. And I went, what? I, that can't be true. And I and I and I realized, oh, it, it actually is true. We have many, many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories. And 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 yet we don't have enough leads um, and narratives in which gay characters just just get to be characters um, and, and not have to be about gay stories. And so um, that's been very eye opening for me. Um, and and I I can tell you um, it's something that I feel perhaps had this moment not happened, um, I as a leader and me as my colleagues would not have focused on. And and going forward, um, I, I certainly will be more so. I know that we will be. And um, 
and I hope this is a moment where shoot um, the fifty percent of the tears. <laughs> sorry, are coming. Um, uh, we don't. We just don't allow each other to go backwards. Meanwhile, DeSantis, who will hopefully run for U.S. president in 2024, hit back. For them to say that them as a California-based company are going to work to take those California values and overturn a law that was duly enacted and, as you said, supported by a strong majority of Floridians, they don't run this state. With Australian schools laced with rainbow gender fluid indoctrination, we need politicians with the courage of Ron DeSantis. During the 2017 marriage campaign, the Coalition for Marriage warned that parents' rights would be eroded if marriage was degendered. None of us thought it would happen so quickly. Thankfully, Florida is leading the world in pushing back. Well, what is a woman? No one seems to know anymore in this post-same-sex marriage world of woke, not even Australia's top health bureaucrats in Canberra. Well, it's back in Canberra for Senate Estimates this week, and just like last week, there are lots of questions. But one burning question that's been on my mind is this issue about the definition of a woman and why it is I can't seem to get a bureaucrat in this building to define what is a woman. Well, today, I took it right to the top, straight to the Department of Health, and one of the most extraordinary responses I've seen to date. Watch below. Righto. Well, I'm going to finish up then, because this hasn't been very helpful, with a very simple question for the department, and that is one which has troubled me for a great deal of time with the bureaucracy here. Can someone please provide me with a definition of what a woman is? <coughs> department of Health. Definition of a man. Definition of a woman. Anyone? It's pretty basic. It's basic stuff. Professor Murphy. <laughs> there, look, I think there are... There are a variety of definitions, and I, I think a simple perhaps, one. perhaps to give a, a more fulsome answer, we should take that on notice. You're going to take on notice yeah. the question of what a woman is. No, well, there are a variety. It's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a very contested space at mm. the moment. Senator, it's not I just mean, a woman who's born a woman, but there are definitions in terms of how people identify themselves. So we're happy to provide. Our working that definition is on one of the, I'm, I've only been here two years. That's the best thing I've seen thus far. Thank you so much. It's only been five years since Australians voted in a plebiscite to degender marriage, and now our top health professionals are confused. The senator asking that question, which was not controversial at all before the same-sex marriage debate, was South Australian Liberal Senator Alex Antic. He's a rising star in the common sense movement in this nation. I spoke with him earlier in the week about another issue, the World Economic Forum and its nefarious agenda, which of course is in sync with the LGBTIQ agenda. I'm sure you'll agree with me that this man is a breath of fresh air. Well, it's an absolute privilege once again to have Senator Alex Antic uh, on the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. Alex, uh, welcome. Thanks, Lyle. It's great to be here. And uh, well, wish I could be there with you, but I'm here in the, in the, in the I was gonna say madhouse. I won't say madhouse, the bubble, the Canberra bubble. So, That's right. You're, uh, at, Senate we, estimates. you're yeah. at Senate Estimates in Canberra. Good on you. Sure so, uh, um, it's been uh, all week and we're still going and um, it's been some interesting stuff as always, but in, in amongst the, the, the drudgery of Senate Estimates, but it's always a good chance to get in there and drill into the, you know, what's really going on under the surface. So, yeah, we've been doing our best. 
Fantastic. We're going to ask you about some of that in a moment. But uh, I guess uh, one of the key reasons I wanted to talk to you today was uh, the speech you gave last week in the Senate about the World Economic Forum. We've all heard of Klaus Schwab. Uh, We see these people flying on their private jets to Davos every year. But uh, I think um, since he sort of coined that term, the Great Reset, we've been really worried. Now, now you went into the Senate and sort of blew the whistle on their agenda. Just tell us a bit about um, why you did that. Well, yeah, look, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I look like you, I'm sure. I, I, I've heard that phrase, the Great Reset, for so long now. And, um, you know, many months or, you know, even a year ago, 18 months ago, I started looking into this. You know, what does this mean? Is it is it just one of these rabbit holes you can go down on the, on the internet? And, you know, there I was surprised to learn that not only was it not a conspiracy theory, but also that Mr. Schwab, Professor Schwab, has written a book about it. And it's a book that he's sending around. He's sending to all the world leaders and um, he's actively promoting it. And it, it really stuck with me because I thought at the beginning of, of COVID that, you know, you have to, you know, despite how bad things can be, you've got to turn this stuff into a win. And I, I sort of saw it as a, you know, in my own mind, as a, as a way in which we would go, right, well, we've got to stop this nonsense with, uh, you know, destroying our economy with, you know, this kind of relentless push towards net zero and uh, renewables. We've got to get back to manufacturing. It'll build the cat on all of those frailties, you know, the sovereign capacity and all this sort of stuff. Well, guess what? It turns out on the other side of the world, uh, there were those who were who were talking different language. And the language of the Great Reset is really alarming to me. It's sort of steeped in this kind of authoritarian, neo-Marxist language. It's sort of you know, if you look at what he's talking about, and I think he's written a book about this as well, is this concept of stakeholder capitalism, which is um, really the concept that the free market's not doing its job anymore and that, that government has to intervene into the market when socially um, it's required to do so. So but that depends on what your societal views are. And, you know, we would have, I'm sure you and I would have very different views yeah. uh, than, than some of those skirting around the fringes of the, the World Economic Forum as to what we would like to see for our world. So I think it's a it's a growing issue. People are more aware of it, but I want people to be really aware of this and aware of the fact that it's not a conspiracy theory. It's real. No, as, as uh, Steve Bannon, and you've been on his show, uh, as he would say, uh, it's in your grill. And this Klaus yeah. Schwab, I mean, I'd never heard of the guy until I heard him saying that we need this great research and you will uh, own nothing and you will be happy. Uh, so mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he wants to create a class of serfs who never own property because it's just too expensive and you just rent and you're just a consumer and you'll be happy. Um, this is some sort of Marxist communist agenda, so it seems. I mean, it seems like extreme language, but that's that's where they're coming from, isn't it, ideologically? Yeah, well, it seems to be. And look, we, we know that it's too easy to just pluck words out and, you know, create something that's not, but it doesn't seem to be like that in this case. It, it, this concept of you will own nothing and you will be happy, it, it, it sort of does have all the hallmarks of some of those old, um, I, think, I think they were sort of communist phrases I think they used to use, which were... Um, things like, uh, you know, uh, don't, I think, what, I can't remember what they were, don't think or, you know, you, thinking sets you free or, so, you know, there are all this sort of stuff that used to float around, but they seem to have been indelibly marked on this on this movement, on the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. And it is alarming language. You know, it's, it sort of talks about, you know, stuff that I would have thought was dead and buried at the end of the 90s with communism as it was. But, you know, it's like Margaret Thatcher used to say, communism never sleeps, it never changes its objectives. And nor must we. And I and I think this is the lesson for people: is don't don't think this ideology has gone away. I'm I'm not suggesting that it's, you know, ne- necessarily bubbling to the surface through this or through something else, but it's always there, and it's never good for us. This is the ideology that, you know, that caused so much havoc in the 20th century. And there are there are different ways and means of getting there. Uh, owning nothing and being told to be happy is probably one of them. I think. 
Yeah, I, I was I was alarmed when I saw that I'd never heard of Klaus Schwab uh, until that point. And, and I noticed in, in your speech in the Senate last week, you said that that video where he said that you will own nothing and be happy has now been deleted from the World Economic Forum website. I mean, that's a yeah. good tell, isn't it? Well, I, I guess it is, and it, it caused such alarm that it was taken down. Of course, it's still out there, and you know about people mm. have captured it and used it. But um, yeah, it, 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 it's it's taken off their off their websites, taken off their official um, site, and you know it's I don't know. I, I I think perhaps the language has changed a little bit. They're, they're sort of using the terms opportunity now to reimagine and reinvent and all this sort of stuff after yeah. COVID. But the truth is, it's um, you know it's alarming language and. You know, it's, it's interesting to me how this always is pointed at the West. Um, you know, if it was really about environmental issues, we would be, and the World Economic Forum and other bodies would be putting more pressure on places like China and India, who are the greatest polluters, the greatest emitters of carbon in the world. So why is it aimed squarely at us, which has less than 1% of the world's emissions? You know, why are we not doing enough? Why is it us? Yeah. Um, no, you know, right. it's, it, yeah, and they do pick and choose on, on issues. And if you read the documentation carefully, it's, uh, it's alarming stuff, and and you know I, I think what, for for me what what I think is important is that people are aware of it, and I I, I really want to know um, how far those tentacles go into this country and our institutions because well, well I was going to ask you about that Alex you're you're there in the federal parliament you're coming to us uh, from Canberra right now as we speak in yeah. Parliament House. Um, you, met, you mentioned in your speech that Klaus Schwab's objective, and I've, I've seen these videos on YouTube of him talking about this. As you say, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's in your grill. It's in our faces. He's saying we will penetrate the cabinet. They've had this uh, young uh, leaders forum that the World Economic Forum has fostered. Um, Jacinda Ardern's been on it, uh, Macron, uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, you said in your speech that about half of the Trudeau cabinet uh, are young World Economic Forum alumni. Now, these are the people yeah. who shut down the truckers' strike, froze their bank accounts, uh, yeah. did all those really authoritarian, draconian uh, measures uh, against people who were, you know, using the tools of democracy, you know, peaceful protests to to resist things that they didn't like about their governments. Um, this is really concerning if this is what the WEF is turning out. Yeah, I mean, actually, he said it himself. He said it, I think, at a relatively recent, um, it might have even been Davos this time around, I think, in, in January, where he talked about, I think the words he used was, we penetrate the cabinets and yeah. and, and know that half of the Canadian cabinet um, are actually young global leader alumni or, you know, words to that effect. And that, you know, that, look, I mean, on its surface, there, there really isn't anything wrong with people being involved with, you know, whatever no. NGO or body it is. But my point is, I think we need to know. Uh, I think yeah. we need to know, you know, how far and wide these tentacles are going, and and who's associating with them. In the same way as, I mean, this is this is the point to be made. Um, as, a, as a member of federal parliament, you can click right now on the, and I wouldn't bother because there's nothing to see. Uh, the register of interests uh, here, and and you know, see where any particular person like myself owns a piece of land. You know, the banking you do. Uh, if you're a member of your local golf club. Um, and yet we don't make a provision for, you know, let's say, I don't know, somebody being involved with the Gates Foundation or somebody being involved with the World Economic Forum. So yeah. what I'm planning to do in the new parliament is move a motion uh, that, so that we add that to the register of interest because I think, you know, it's not that it's anything particularly about the World Economic Forum or the Gates Foundation, but I think people should 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 know, should know who's associating with whom so that at yeah, least, you know, in yeah, it's a question of transparency. There may be nothing wrong with that. There may be nothing more than just 
you know, being involved or being a recipient of an award or whatever it may be. But, you know, that's the same with banking. You know, you might say, well, what's the problem with holding a mortgage with the, the National Australia Bank? Nothing. People just, yeah. public personalities um, and public figures who are legislators need to be more transparent than the average person. So in terms of the tentacles here in Australia, um, you, you talked about um, digital identity and there's legislation before the parliament, which I believe is going to cross over into the next parliament after the election. I, I don't even know what this digital identity thing means, but it sounds like the social credit system that Chinese Communist Party regime has where they you know, capture your biometric details and they, they track you and all this sort of stuff. Is that what the government that you're a part of is doing? And is, and is this part of some uh, agenda that's uh, been pushed on us by the World Economic Forum. Again, not a conspiracy theory. I've heard them talk about, you know, this whole digital movement. It's something they want to see. Mm. Where is this being driven yeah. from? Is, is this something that came through a Liberal Party branch meeting or has it come from Davos? <laughs> well, oh, look, I, I, don't, I don't think it's been policy that's come up through through the coalition's branches, I don't think. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but um, it, it seems to be a very similar um, format to those which are drifting out through other countries. We, you know, we've seen them, I think, in the UK has got one pending or has just been passed. Um, and really what it is, it's a pretty complicated piece of legislation. It's called the Trusted Digital Identity Bill. Um, and it's designed to give Australians a digital identification. Now, of course, we're probably both old enough to remember the Australia card and what, yeah. what a, you know, what a commotion that caused yeah. uh, back in the early 80s. And um this is like the digital version of that on steroids, and that's a very you know, bad way of describing it. But, but what it's designed to do is create a digital ID for you under the guise of making sure that if you go onto Facebook, you're known. You can't be an online anonymous troll and all that. So that's the, that's the discussion point. But well, that, that sounds always fair in enough. Detail. Yeah, well, look, it does. I mean, you and I both would have our fair share of trolls, and, uh, you know, fair enough. We're, I don't have a problem with that aspect of it. But the, the thing that alarms me about all of this is the collation of data. And, and so what will happen is people will end up with a almost a database of things they do, um, be it religious profiling, be it medical information, be it purchasing habits. And what happens to that data, particularly when you set the framework up? Does it just end there? Does it go elsewhere? Does it go somewhere else? Um, it really does lend itself to the beginnings of a social credit system. And I'm, I'm pretty uncomfortable with this. I mean, I, I still need to get fully on top of the details before... You know, we get across it and it will go into the next parliament. So, but ultimately, um, I don't want to live in a world where I go to the shops and I go to buy a steak or whatever it may be. And I'm told my digital profile has got a flag against it because I've already bought one for the week. So who, who's the minister driving this, Alex? Is it, is it Paul Fletcher, the communications minister? Is it Attorney uh, General? No, what what is it like? I think this one's out of it. It probably would be cross, cross uh, ministerial, but I, I think this, right. this bill is with Minister Robert. Uh, Yeah, and so, look, I I think there's a lot of... And at the moment, I believe it's still out for consultation, so it'll be really interesting to see. It's not a done deal, so there's there's more to to see. There may not be anything to it, um, but there's probably enough just to be concerned and to keep a watching brief on it. Look, I think, unfortunately, this surveillance state that we're entering into, and I say state, not the state, but this Mm. state of consciousness, if you like, is is sort of inevitable in a sense, but we've got to be careful with our freedom, you know, we can't just set up frameworks and systems that um, allow us to be persecuted for things you might say online. You know, you might you might get online and have the temerity to say that uh, a woman is a person born as a woman biologically, and that's it. And 
your digital ID carries that and then you get blocked out from getting a mortgage. Because, I, I, I know, want to come back to that question of, of what is a woman, but um, we started talking about the digital identity thing as, as uh, segueing from the World Economic Forum. Is, is this something that is being driven, you know, from, from a, a global perspective or, or, or is that, again, you know, reading too much into it and being a little bit conspiratorial? Oh, look, I, I just don't know. I don't know what the right. genesis of the okay. is. So but what I would say is that, yeah. well, look, I, I, you know, I, just, I, mean, I just literally don't have those facts. But what I yeah. do know is that it's a similar format that's being rolled out across the world. And, look, you would gotcha. expect that things that are being done globally would go to all countries that are members of these organisations. Yeah. So that in itself I don't think is, is cause for alarm. I just want to know the facts and the yeah. possibilities about what this will do to our future. And, you know, we don't want to live in a society where we go anywhere, even when we're even in the same section of the library is the sort of stuff that goes on in China yeah. at the moment. We, we, yeah. just, we, we, we must be careful with our liberty. Absolutely. Look, I couldn't agree more. And as you say, yeah, if this is something that other countries are doing as part of something that's being driven by the likes of the World Economic Forum, which quite happily has Xi Jinping come and speak uh, at its conferences, as it did last year in the middle of pandemic, after we knew all about the Wuhan lab and what the CCP were up to with um, with gain-of-function research there, they still gave Xi Jinping a platform. So I, I just don't think the World Economic Forums are a friend. Alex, um, I know time's getting away. Um, what is a woman? You've been asking some bureaucrats in Senate estimates. What are they telling you? Well, not much at this stage. I, I've been asking far and wide. I just, I'd just like an answer because, you know, from where I sit and I know from where you sit, it's a pretty simple simple equation and um, uh, we just can't seem to get an answer. I, I, I asked, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, the Workplace Gender Equality gender, Agency, that question. That's right, Gender uh, Equality last, Agency, yeah. That's it, that's it, earlier in the week. And the response was, well, it could be anything the ABS and businesses want them to be, which I found quite curious. Uh, and then I've just only recently asked the Department of Health and they've taken it on notice. So I'm just going to keep asking until someone can tell Sorry, me what a woman just, is. Just stop there. Um, you asked the Department of Health, the Federal Department of Health, mm -hmm. what a woman was, mm -hmm. and they said they would take it on notice? Take it on notice. They're going to take that one on notice. Who, who was that person? What, what level of um, seniority was this person? Uh, well, was, that must was be actually, someone very senior if they're set an estimate. So. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was Professor uh, Brendan Murphy who, who, who said he would take it Professor on notice. Professor Brendan Murphy. This is the man who was right. the face of the COVID pandemic response for the federal government, the, the former yep. chief health officer. Is that right? Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. said he would take that on notice. He would. He would. I'll be putting that this clip up a, later on, uh, on my Facebook, yeah. um, Lyle, so we'll... Yeah, please, every, everyone go to Alex's Facebook um, later today. We, we are shooting this um, on Wednesday, April the 6th, and some people will be watching a delayed broadcast next week. But uh, go to Alex's Senator Alex's anti Alex Antich's Facebook and watch Brendan Murphy take that on notice. That is unbelievable. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't been here in this building long, Lyle, but that was one of the most extraordinary things I think that's happened uh, Alex, in my time. It, it's, it's just inconceivable for those of us who are normal, ordinary Australians that um, highly paid bureaucrats at a very senior level uh, who report to a coalition government are confused about things like this. Um, it just goes to show even having a Conservative government in power for nine years, it's not easy to change the woke culture, is it? It's almost impossible. The, the swamp yeah, look, sort of rules. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, I, I think that's exactly the point. That I, You know, it's funny how um, accurate some of those episodes of Yes Minister were years and years yeah. ago. Um, you know, and, and look, it's no criticism. I mean, the bureaucracy, well, it probably should be, but I'm not going to do it today. Um, the bureaucracy gets a life of its own. Uh, I sometimes feel like estimates is almost an inconvenience to, uh, to some of the departments, um, you know, that they almost have to come and justify this stuff. And they're massive, massive enterprises now. So 
Um, but look, that was a pretty simple question. Um, I, you know, from where I sit, it should be a pretty easy thing. If you're born a woman, you're a woman. Uh, and that's sort of about it. And, but we can't seem to get that answer out of the bureaucrats. Yeah. Alex, um, there's so much more I'd love to talk about. Your time is short, but uh, look, thank you so much for being with me on the Macquarie Street Political Podcast once again. Love to talk to you again on the other side of the federal election, which will probably be called sometime this week. But uh, I know that you're not up for re-election. Uh, you're on a six-year term, so you'll be you'll certainly be back in the next parliament. Thank goodness for that, that you can be there. <laughs> but uh, we certainly wish you uh, all the best as you'll be campaigning and um, look forward to talking to you on the other side of it. Thanks, Lyle. Appreciate it and love to we'll talk again soon. Well, that's it for the Macquarie Street Political Podcast this week. Don't forget, you can stay in touch by joining me at lylesheltoncomau Click join. A big shout out to Dave and Aidan at The Good Source for production. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.